Good morning. May God bless you. This morning when I uh, came here to your sanctuary to pray with Pastor JP, um, I walked into his office and suddenly when I saw him, I said, where's JP? Where's your pastor? And that's because I had never seen him with facial hair. And um, so it looks good and I feel... uh, very happy that you're actually moving in that direction. <laughs> so um, it's a real honor for me to be here with you today. I want to share with you a reflection based on John 3.16. And I'm going to give you a kind of behind-the-scenes reflection on this verse as somebody who is a pastor in the city of Lawrence and as somebody who also teaches theology and history of Christianity at Boston University. But before doing that, let us pray. Our God, thank you for your presence among us. Thank you for your love, for your care, for your sustenance. Thank you for this church, and thank you for their ministers, for all the families that are here, For all the single people who are here, for all the children and young people who are here, thank you, Lord, for the senior citizens. Thank you for every man, woman, and child in this place. Now I pray that you may guide us and that every word that may come from my mouth may be for your glory and for the edification of this church. Amen. So, John 3.16 is probably one of the best-known verses in the Bible. And uh, I just want to ask you if, by any chance, you have ever tried to memorize John 3.16. If you have done so, please raise your hand. Very good. Now, another thing is to ask you, right, and see if you actually memorize the verse. Now, I think that uh, 3.16 somehow captures and summarizes the substance of the gospel. I grew up in what we call an evangelical family in the island of Puerto Rico with strong charismatic Pentecostal uh, influence. And uh, when I went to seminary in the 1990s, uh, which actually means that I'm just a few years younger than JP, When I went there, I wanted to reflect more about my background, my upbringing, and trying to make sense of it. And I uh, read two books that helped me, on my own, that helped me get a sense of what does it mean to be evangelical. One of them was Alistair McGrath, Evangelicalism and the Future of Christianity, which was published in 1994. And the other one was Mark Knowles' The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind, published in 1995. These two books were written from a certain perspective. And I realized, uh, moving from the first uh, service today to the second service today, actually, it reminded me that here in Free Christian Church, you have a very diverse body of believers. And so my personal trajectory here, I speak as somebody who's coming from that background. But there may be other people in the church who come from a Roman Catholic background. And I just want to share this, and and, and I think 
it's going to make sense for all of us. I was trying to make sense of that background. I read these books, and uh, one thing that was very uh, telling of, of, of both of them was the kind of optimism that they had back in 1994 and 1995. Both authors were still celebrating uh, Jimmy Carter, and they recall the year that Jimmy Carter was elected as the year of the evangelical, or the year of the newborn Christian. Now, things have changed dramatically from the 1990s, and that kind of optimism is no longer around. For instance, uh, David Goshi, who teaches at Mercer University, and is probably one of the most influential evangelical ethicists in America, he just published a book, uh, 2017, and the title is revealing. The title is Still Christian, Following Jesus Out of American Evangelicalism. The situation from the 1990s to this point has changed. For me, this is uh, very important, and this is why I share these word words with you, because I, I think that, again, going back to 3.16, John 3.16, there is something very important about this verse that I identify with as a Christian, and I think that people from other backgrounds also identify. After all, the word evangelical comes from the Greek evangelion, which means good news. So I think that I personally cannot give up on this label because it is in the New Testament. It is what we preach and proclaim. And it is, from an ecumenical perspective, what other Christians also preach and proclaim. So I, at this point in my journey, and I think in the place where we are here in the country, we have to think what does it mean to be somebody who is gospel-loving? What does it mean to be someone who feels sent by God to preach the gospel? What does it mean? And you see, uh, in that sense, I want to share three readings of John 3.16 with you. The first reading of John 3.16 gives more emphasis to the second part of the verse. So I will read the whole verse for you. For God so loved the word that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So I think that this first reading of John 3.16 gives all the weight and all the emphasis to the second part. I will read it again. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So many of us, inspired by those words, we believe that our mission is to go out and preach, to reach out to the lost souls. We believe in mission. We believe in working with other churches. And for instance, our church, Lawrence Evangelical Church, has been partnering with Free Christian Church now for two years when we do a vacation Bible school. And now we are also partnering as we bring the Alpha Ministry to Lawrence Evangelical Church. So we try to work together because we believe that we have been sent out to preach this good news. We can never ignore the real weight and the real consequences of sin. And because of that, we cannot stop preaching the gospel. 
We cannot stop bringing good news. However, I think there is a, a kind of challenge, a danger here sometimes, and that is that we are so focused on that mission. We're so focused on the going out, on the preaching, on the reaching, on the going for the lost souls, that we lose perspective of something very important. And that is that if we have been sent, there is someone who has sent us. And that's why it's important that we go to this second reading of John 3.16. And in that reading, we now shift the balance or give more weight to the first part of this verse. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. I think that all of us, in a way, we have to remember who sent us, who is behind us, what kind of authority we bring with us, what kind of certainty of assurance we have standing behind us as we go forward. I think this is critical because in many moments of our life, our faith is tested. Faith is tested when we lost loved ones. Faith is tested when you have teenage children all the time. Your faith is tested in so many ways. And you need the authority, the power, the comfort, the sustenance of the one who is standing behind you. And in that sense, we all need to realize and, and, and think and contemplate and meditate upon the one who sent us. And that is God. And 3.16 tells us something very important about this God. It tells us that this God is the loving God, for God so loved the world. Our God is a loving God, is the loving God, and we have the authority, power, and sustenance of the God who loves. You know, sometimes we may get lost in this idea of God's love. We may find it very abstract, right? But 3.16 helps us to understand what is God's love. It tells us that for so God loved the world. Now that uh, word there, W-O-R-L-D, word, uh, translates the Greek cosmos. And that word cosmos appears in different places of the New Testament. However, we find it more often in the gospel according to John and the other writings that were attributed to the apostle John. We also find it in some writings of Paul. But in John, it has a special meaning. Because when he talks about the cosmos, it is not only talking about the universe, creation, everything around us, which is actually one sense of the word cosmos. We still have it in the English language, right? We talk and mention the word cosmos, and we think of all the universe, the stars, and so on, and probably some science fiction as well. But there's this other sense to the word cosmos that you find in John. And it is used to describe a situation of, of resistance, of opposition to God. That somehow the cosmos is opposed to God, is resisting God's love. That somehow there is no peace or reconciliation between God and the cosmos. That appears in John very, very often. And in fact, in 3.16, that's part of the idea, because this is why God sent God's Son to die for us, 
to reconcile the cosmos. Now think about that for a moment. Because 316 is telling us not only that God is the one who loves, it is also telling us that God is the one who loves those who are opposed to God. God loves those who have enmity with God. This is the God that we praise, that we worship, is the God who loves. In a moment, and I have the advantage, right, that I was here in the first sermon, which, by the way, helps me to repair the sermon and make it a little bit better for the second time. <laughs> that uh, we're going to be singing in a moment, uh, go tell it in the mountains. Okay, so I just gave that away. But the first time I heard that song, it was not from a hymnal. It was actually from Simon and Garfunkel. Anybody here remember Simon and Garfunkel? Good, good for you. By the way, they were before I was born, but. <laughs> so I learned about, I heard that song for the first time from them. It was so beautiful. And then, a couple of years down the road, uh, I was in Waco, Texas, and we had a, a partnership with a German Baptist church, and in the hymn book, there was this spiritual, and we will sing it very often, go tell it in the mountains. God, for God so loved the word. You know, Simon and Garfunkel singing that song, they were proclaiming the gospel. For God so loved the word. In a way, it's an invitation for us to love the word just as God loves the word. Very often, what we try to do is to establish barriers, divisions, separations. We end up rejecting others instead of loving them. Instead of acting like God wants us to act, we do the contrary to it. And I think that's part of the reason that we are where we are here in the States when it comes to the situation of evangelicalism. We need to remember who is the God who sent us. The God who sent us loves the word. And he's inviting us to love the word as well. To be accepting, to be welcoming. That's the second reading of this passage. For God so loved the word. But there is a, there is a third way of reading uh, John 3.16. And it is a way of reading 3.16 in which we have to remember that the second part and the first part Go together. They are not in opposition. It's not that you just go out forgetting who sent you or that you stay here contemplating and thinking of the God who loves you. It's that you actually have to do both. You have to worship the God who is love. You have to worship the God who sent his only son. You have to worship the God who reconciled you to God's self, and at the same time, you have to keep going out preaching the gospel. You have to keep going out with a clear sense of vision and purpose that wherever you are in this moment in your life, you actually have a purpose. That you may be, and you may have all kinds of questions, and all things in your life may be all over the place, but 
there's something that you can rely on, and that is that God has a purpose for you, that God has a direction for you, that you have been called to mission. So this is not only for JP. This is not only for the ministers in this church. This is actually for every believer in this place. God has a mission for you. So you have to keep these two together. You cannot separate them. Now, I'm able, right? I have done so repairs from the first sermon, but something I cannot repair is that I actually preach very short. It's something that I have to do every uh, Sunday in Lawrence Evangelical Church. I have to preach some Sundays in Spanish with a translator. Sometimes I preach in English with an interpreter as well. So we have to keep it concise. So I'm bringing this to a closure. But I want to uh, uh, bring this to a closure with an image. It comes from a singer, Gregory Porter. Anybody knows Gregory Porter here? Good, so there's something that you didn't know. (laughs) A jazz singer, very recent uh, a jazz singer, a great uh, musician, great composer with a great story. Uh, He grew up in the West Coast. He grew up raised by his mother, who was a pastor. His mother died of cancer when he was uh, probably in his early 20s. Uh, He uh, moved to New York. He worked in a restaurant for a time. Uh, Eventually uh, started singing and doing um, some gigs in some jazz places. That kind of worldly affair. And Gregory Porter, however, uh, keeps some of the influence from his mother in his songs. And there is one song that if you have the opportunity, uh, you should try to listen to it. It's called Take Me to the Alley. And in Take Me to the Alley, Gregory Porter talks about the king coming to town, the king coming to the city, and everybody preparing and cleaning the place and putting all sorts of adornments, making the place beautiful, shining, with all kinds of pricey stuff trying to fill the eye of the king. But when the king arrives to the city, he says, Gregory Porter says, everybody will be surprised. Everybody was surprised. Because the king was not entertained by all those beautiful things. Instead, the king says, take me to the alley. Take me to those who are forgotten. Take me to those who have lost their way in life. Take me to those who have lost their way in life. Now, there are two ways of of, of reading those words. One, other people who have lost their way in life. The other people. And we tend to think in those ways, the other people have lost their way. But no, it is also us when we lose our way in life. At the moment in which you lose perspective of where you're going, when you forget where you're coming from, this is losing your way in life. But with Gregory Porter, I want to remind you that the king wants to meet you. The king wants to know you. So today, I invite you Renew your sense of mission. Renew your sense of passion. 
Remember that God is actually calling you and that you have a mission. It may take different shapes, but God loves the word and God wants you to love the word in the name of Christ. May God bless you. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your many blessings and thank you for this day. Now we leave this place. I leave this place with a grateful heart to you for your many blessings and your love. You are the God who loves. Thank you for loving us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. May God bless you.